Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Abundantly Curious. I'm your host, Jerry Page Butner. In this week's episode, we sit down for a really fascinating conversation with Tawani Clark. Tawani is a yoga teacher and online yoga studio owner and fashion designer who has taught more than 7,000 classes in the last 13 years. I've been doing yoga for over a decade, and I learned so much in this conversation about yogic philosophy, about the different chakras, polyvagal theory, the fight flight and freeze response and how yoga helps us with that in the modern world. One of my favorite parts is when we explore discomfort and the role that discomfort plays in pointing out to us areas where we can lean in for healing versus, and this is an important distinction to make, when perhaps that discomfort is actually telling us it's a hard boundary for us. How do we achieve the balance of knowing when to lean in in order to grow and when to put up a boundary to protect ourselves? I really loved this conversation, and I promise you that it is absolutely worth it to stick around. Before we dive in, I'd like to welcome you to the Abundantly Curious podcast, where we aim to spark curiosity, ignite inspiration, and open your mind to expand into possibility. Each week, we'll sit down with experts to dive headfirst into the magical, mysterious, and awe-inspiring elements of our world with a focus on topics found at the intersection of science, spirituality, and self-help. Make sure you never miss an episode by hitting subscribe now and joining our email list at the link in our show description and show notes. Tawani, welcome. Thank you so much for being here today. Such a pleasure to be here. (laughs) <laughs> to kick us off, I was wondering if you could share a bit about your background and the journey that led you where you are today. Well, we're going to have to go to not only a different time, but a different continent. So I was born in Lusaka, Zambia, which some people be like, where is Zambia? Well, pretty much everybody knows South Africa. So we just go up a country to Zimbabwe and people probably know, you know, the trouble spots. And then above that, you get to Zambia. So I am a product of a Zambian mother and a English father and a British father. And what happened was there was a lot of, I guess, say friction between the two sides of the family as to whether my parents should get married at all, coming from different cultures and different groups, you know, a European and an, and an African and Both sides were opposed, and one thing that they both agreed on was the children would probably be messed up. So it's probably not to get married because your children are going to be messed up. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully I am not messed up, but this is why my uh, grandmother named me Tawani. Hmm. And basically, Tawani means in Tumbuka, which is my grandfather's tribe, my the father of my mother, it means to be bright and to be beautiful. And she was just affirming that this marriage that a lot of you are opposing is going to be bright and it's going to be beautiful. Mm. And these children that you are so worried about how confused they're going to be, they're going to be bright and beautiful too. So that's a grandmother's tribe and my grandfather's tribe. The naming is circumstantial. So children take named after situations that arose 
at the time of their birth or soon before that, hmm. as opposed to some of the other ethnic groupings or tribes or in the European tradition where we tend to name after ancestors and you get John the Third or Mary named after so-and-so. So that's actually how my mother got into yoga because even after they married, it wasn't just from the family, but a bit of resistance from society. And she found that she was taking out her stress on the one person who was her ally, my father. And she said, look, that's not good. And I'm snapping in my stress. I'm snapping at my husband. And she came across yogic breathing and she found that yogic breathing really helped her calm down. And she did yoga when she was pregnant with me. So I always say that my first connection with yoga was in vitro within in my mother's body. I'm sure, you know, babies pick up the chemicals in the mother's bloodstream. So as my mother's calming, I mean, I know I felt that and we mm. have made an association some somehow. And later when she was two years later, when she was pregnant with my sister, we did yoga. I can't remember that one. She told me that just a few years ago and I was like, what? So there was again another subconscious uh, association with yoga. The one I do remember was picking up a book with my mom around seven and doing yoga. So that's the introduction as to how I got into yoga. But you know how you get in touch with things and then you forget about it. Yeah. So I came across it again half a lifetime later when I had hepatitis as a teenager, which led to me being vegetarian. And the only philosophy that really helped me come to terms with the decision not to eat meat was the yogic philosophy. And I did yoga a little bit then, but I didn't have any yoga teachers and another half lifetime later, I did it because it was cheap. I could do it in my room, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> Very accessible. <laughs> Very accessible. But it, it really got hooked to into it. So I dabbled in and out. What made me stay and stick with it was how it helped me get through the aftermath of the collapse of my first marriage. What was it like to experience the remembering of yoga and what invited you to say, oh yeah, okay, this did serve me. I'm going to bring it back. We give our minds, I think, too much credit. Mm. We assume that so much of our reasons for doing things are in our consciousness, in what we are actually aware of. I mean, yoga aims to increase that consciousness. So I don't think it was a conscious decision. Mm. I think it was definitely part of my subconscious. It was there because I had had those associations. It was there and it came into my consciousness and, you know, came into my consciousness. And I was like, oh, I think I could do yoga, you know? So I think it came somewhere from that subconscious level. Mm. Have you noticed that anywhere else in your life? How else has that phenomenon served you? I'll give you an interesting example that happened today in yoga about something coming up from consciousness. So mm -hmm. we, we did a class and, and one of my clients at the end says, oh, you know, every time we do that skiing pose, I need to run to the loo. And I was like, skiing pose? I can't <laughs> think which one is the skiing pose. 
<laughs> it's a flying uh, chair pose where you take your hands back. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That one. I feel like I need, I rush to the toilet. And it's only because we had had a conversation a few weeks before about her shoulder and how she dislocated her shoulder while skiing. She rammed into a tree and dislocated her shoulder, I think, when she was about 12 or so. Hmm. And I said, Ashley, I think this is your subconscious because you associate skiing, I think, with an injury, which could lead to you, you know, when something is scary, we tend to want to pee, want to piss ourselves or shit ourselves. <laughs> so this is leading to some of those reactions that the body has to situations, you know, fight, flight, or freeze. Mm-hmm. So this is an instant incident incidents of something that was happening in a subconscious level and her conscious level was I don't know why every time we do the skiing pose I want to pee Mm, the subtle connections you mentioned yogic philosophy earlier I'm sure many listeners have practiced yoga but even I myself as someone who's done tons of different yoga classes I'm not familiar with that philosophy and I was wondering if you could share it with us you're very right I think what we associate as yoga in classes is basically one of the eight limbs or eight facets of yoga, which is the asanas. In Sanskrit, it's called asanas or the poses. We all think of a pose like the skiing pose, which is flying chair or downward facing dog. But Yoga is more than the poses. We may know another of the facets or limbs, which is breathing, but Not every class will have the breathing aspect. We might know another aspect, which is the withdrawal of the senses, maybe in Shavasana, where we are trying not to be distracted or focus on the sounds around us. And and maybe also the concentration. We do a lot of, we do that when we concentrate on the poses. So that's another limb. So that's kind of four that I've mentioned. And then you get to basically... Yoga is a self-mastery tool. And all these facets are helping us get to self-mastery. So the first aspect of yoga is how are we with other living beings, not just human beings, other living beings. So in yogic jargon, the yamas, it's how you are with other living beings. And that's the philosophy that helped me with my decision to be a vegetarian at that time, mm-hmm. because it's to be the first of those is ahimsa or nonviolence. And this is the reason why a lot of um, yogis and yoginis don't eat meat, because we want to have a diet that is as nonviolent as, as possible. And then the next limb, so is how, we, how do we behave to others, yamas? How do we behave to ourselves? There's a lot of self-discipline there. And then we get to the poses, which is number three. And then we get to the breathing, which is number four. We do that sometimes in class. Then there's the withdrawal of the senses that we sometimes do in Shavasana, as well as the focus or concentration as we're meditating and maybe some actual meditating. And if you do that continually, it brings a sense of peace. We become more aware of ourselves, our energy, We become more connected in ourselves because yoga, after all, means oneness. 
So we want to be more in tune with ourselves. Because a lot of the time, our mind is like, I need to do that, and I haven't done that, and I still need to do that, and yesterday this happened. But the mind has lost track of what's happening with the body. And this is part of the reason why our body gets stressed, because the mind is often another tangent, very separate from the body and not in touch with the spirit. So yoga means to join and bring together. So we are bringing ourselves all together. Hmm. It's like, let me just bring myself together first. <laughs> Sometimes we use that expression. I'm yeah. not all together. <laughs> <laughs> so it kind of sounds like when these modern day yoga classes that we have, we might only be getting a part of the yogic experience. Or do you believe that we're still getting the full experience, even if we don't have a, an entire awareness of the eight limbs? I think we're getting part of the experience, but I I always say some yoga is better than no yoga. Mm. And we enter in the facet that resonates with us at that particular time. And for me, that's the most important thing. And the important thing is if it's the poses that call you and you do those, if you stick with it, it'll most likely lead you to all the others. If it's the breathing, for my mom, it was the breathing. Mm. But then she also started doing the poses and, and some of the meditation. And for others, it might be, I'm getting too distracted. I want to be able to, you know, not get so distracted with all the sounds about me. No, I want to learn how to meditate. So I think it doesn't matter which is your inroad, but stay with it. If, you're, if you really stay with it and you're inquisitive, you'll are likely to explore different types of yoga, different types of teachers. And I do really recommend that exploration because you might not find everything in the first class or the first type of class. I did probably my first introduction to yoga classes was very much a power yoga. It was more like exercise yoga. Yeah. But I evolved to a more hatha, more traditional style of yoga because I felt the difference on, on what it did in, in my body and in my, my mind and my psyche. Hmm. Could you tell us a little bit about the background, the history of yoga? Oh my gosh, you're going to get the contraband variation, uh, <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you might get a lot of letters from like, I don't I think yoga was like that, but I will say it anyways. Being African and having lived in Africa and having studied some of yoga, of course, there's always more to study. Hmm. I say yoga is African. Hmm. The reason for that is not just because I am African, but because yoga, as far as I'm concerned, is as old as humanity. Hmm. A lot of the moves that are in yoga are moves that we intuitively move our body through as we develop. Hmm. We start in Shavasana, you know, just lie there. <laughs> <laughs> then maybe we learn to roll over and we go into crocodile, which kind of makes sense because reptiles came before everything else, right? Then maybe we learn to sit, which is like Dandasana or staff pose. We would learn to roll over again or come onto all fours. And, you know, we're on all fours. We do cat-cow kind of motions. 
And when we're sitting, we sit maybe with our, our legs crossed. Sometimes when we play, we do uh, an extend a forward bend, a wide-angled forward bend. We splay our legs and we lean forwards and we play. And we then when we're ready to crawl, we are on all fours and then we straighten our legs and we're in downward facing dog. And then eventually we push back or hang on to something and we come into a standing position in Tadasta. And so many of the moves are just part of our evolution. Mm. And when we look at some of the ancient Egyptian writings, I don't know if you, if you go back, you'll see a lot of them look like yoga poses. You'll see wheel, you'll see bow, you'll see half load of fishes twists, you will see forward bend. And I'm like, you can't tell me that's not yoga. And that's almost 10,000 years old in Africa. The recorded history of yoga is 5,000 years in yoga in, in mm. India. So I am extremely grateful for my Indian brothers and sisters for capturing and writing down and being the custodians of this wonderful system of humanity. Mm, that is really interesting. I've never heard it described that way. It almost feels evolutionary in the movement. It is. I mean, we. I think yoga borrows a lot from what is natural of our movements and what's in the environment. We take inspiration from trees. We do tree pose. The whole chakra system is represented, can be symbolized with a tree, with roots. In fact, we also refer to our trunk. We have a trunk just as a tree has a, tr has a trunk. And we have a crown in the same way that a tree has a crown. You mentioned the reptilian pose, and this reminded me of the reptilian brain and how that developed. I believe one of the first parts or the first part of the brain that evolved. And as we're speaking about this from an evolutionary standpoint, I know you mentioned something whenever we connected earlier about how this can tap into that reptilian brain. I was wondering if you could explain more about that. I was always scientifically minded when I was very young and you know, peering down my microscopes and up into telescopes. And the evolution of humans has always fascinated me. And my family, actually, there's a joke in my family of how I can read books over and over again. And one book that I read was, I think, Darwin's book on his stories of his travels with the HMS Beagle, which led to him coming up with the theory of evolution. Hmm. So we see that life forms emerged one into the other. We get single cells and then they come together and we get vertebrate animals with a backbone and the first of those were the you know the fish and when the fish come out we get the reptiles and we still have the reptiles so at every evolution those descendants are there so we still have the single cells we still have the non-vertebrate we still have the fish we still have the reptiles some went on to become warm-blooded so those are the birds and mammals and what is Interesting is, as a human, we retain the DNA of every living organism 
that came before us. Mm. So a lot of the DNA that we have is also shared. And it's quite scary how much DNA we, we actually do, do share. So it's, we still have the reptile in us, but we built onto that to have more the mammalian and emotional aspect and the human aspect. So yes, there is the reptile side of us that developed first and then we developed over that. And that's important. And I think that's important because it's part of what makes us survive. I look at the reptilian side being the instincts. When we're with our reptilian brain, we're surviving with instincts. They're really quick reactions. They don't require that much with the uh, you know, thought process because it'll be too late. You'll be dead, basically. And growing up in part of my time, I, I, I lived on a farm. Hmm. If you saw anything on the ground that looked remotely like a snake, it could be a hose pipe in the grass. If your body at that moment perceived it as a snake, you jumped. You didn't even know how you jumped. You just found that you jumped. And later, the forebrain came on and said, oh, what was that? Was that really a snake? Because you're now safe. <laughs> you can look back. So we do need those uh, reptilian instincts. And so those are, that's where the fight or flight reactions come in or the freeze. So in this case, you know, seeing the snake, I fled. That was my instinct uh, reaction. And maybe if it was still coming at me, I could have grabbed a stick and we could have had a fight. <laughs> Not quite sure who would have won, especially if it was a spitting cobra. We had quite a lot around the farm of those. So I opted to flee. And sometimes we're just terrified mm. and we're scared and we just stuck. That happened to me another time when I saw uh, a snake and it stood up and I heard the sound and I didn't know what, I, I just froze for a moment. But in a way, that was also a survival instinct because they pick movement. Mm. So because I was still, that saved me in a way. And then later I was going to come in line. But the sad reality is that, yes, in the wild, sometimes you are eaten. And before you are eaten, maybe you are bitten. Mm or you're hit across the head or something. And that could be a very painful process. So the reptilian brain, you know, sends some chemicals, some hormones into our body so that we don't feel the pain, hmm. that we mobilize. And sometimes you see it in National Geographic where a impala, I guess it's a type of antelope, is in the mouth of a lion and the lion leaves that antelope and it's frozen you think that that it's dead but the lion is busy doing something else it gets up and runs away hmm. so they help us but the problem now comes when it's not appropriate to the situation yeah if you have a deadline and you're panicking our freeze flight or fight mechanism is not going to help us and a lot of the time, we imagine threats that are not there. A stranger or a person who might even be asking for help. Someone is asking for help and we are scared of them. That doesn't help the situation. 
And what I find um, really, really interesting in, in some of the books, I think it's the polyvagal theory. I think it's a book by George Hodges. I may have to check that reference because names are not my strong point. Is as warm-blooded animals as mammals, we must remember that reptiles do not look after their young. They don't really need to form a bonding relationship with anyone. We mate, we go away. They even eat their own kind sometimes, right? It's eat or be eaten, even sometimes by your own kind, right? Hmm. So it's instinctual and you survive that way. You And you're on your own. It's, it's like survival. That's literally where the survival of the fittest comes from, from that reptilian. But we are not reptiles. We evolved, yes, in certain situations, we need to call back on those pathways. But we are mammals. A mammal is different. We suckle our young. We form relationships with our young. We teach our young. And the young teach each other through playing. They learn through playing. Now, that cannot happen if every time another being comes to you, you're terrified. If every time you're in contact with another animal, you go into fight or flight mode, you will not be able to bond. So as humans, we have a switch. And I think this is where the parasympathetic for me comes in. The parasympathetic has to dampen down. This is my understanding of the polyvagal theory is the sympathetic system says, it's safe, guys. It's okay. You don't have to go into flight or fight. It's all right now. We can play. We can hug. We can embrace. We can suckle. We can make love. We can laugh. We need to, and we can form connections and through all. In fact, when we are in fight or flight pathway, our eardrums, muscles, relax. And that changes the sounds that we can hear, which means that we can hear better the deep threatening sounds is what our ears will pick because we're in fight or flight. You better watch out for danger. So we hear danger sounds better. And then human sounds, which are a higher pitch, our eardrums will not be able to let them in in the same way, let alone the brain processing them. Now, if we're relaxed and when they're parasympathetic, the muscles in the ear, middle eardrum can contract, change our eardrums. Now, we hear voices better. Because I think we've all been in these cases where you can hear someone talking to you, but you can't hear maybe the hum of the air conditioning or the fridge mm -hmm. in the background, right? Yeah. But when people are really agitated, sometimes they're not hearing what people are saying, literally. It's so interesting to think of the physical changes that it can happen. And what's coming up is the length of time that they stick with us. I'm reminded of a time whenever I was in Puerto Rico living on this jungle farm, a burgeoning commune for a couple of weeks. And it was very untamed land. And I stepped on probably like five snakes. 
<laughs> while I was there. And, you know, you, you're a little bit afraid as you're walking and then you step on the snake and you're like, ah, and, you know, your heart and everything just, ah. But then I have this awareness of how fast it went away. As soon as the coast was clear, I found it interesting how much I was able to calm myself afterwards because I knew that the snake was gone. I saw it slither off. Everything was fine. And something that you mentioned was how we can have these uh, responses to things in modern day life that maybe are not an immediate threat. But I personally have found and I've seen that they tend to stick with us a lot longer. And so I'm curious to get your thoughts on that and if you found yoga to be a good tool for helping us navigate that. I think you've pretty much hit the nail on the head there, Jerry. The issue is not that we're getting stressed. The issue is not that we are getting into fight, flight, or freeze uh, pathways because they are there for our survival. And, you know, standing by the side of the road and you almost stepped into the road and a car was coming, it, it, it helps us stay alive. The problem is exactly as you have said it, we, we get stuck. Mm. We get stuck in this pathway, particularly if these stresses are repetitive. And unfortunately, this is what happens with abuse or trauma. They can be things that happened earlier on. They can be childhood abuses or, or traumas or repetitive things. And because we also pick up on the emotion and energy of others, sometimes it's not even ours. I noticed this with my children when I used to get agitated. I noticed that my daughter used to get agitated as well. Mm. So these feelings are contagious. And mm. the problem is, unlike the antelope, after the antelope has escaped the jaws of the lion, has lain there, we probably tried to run away, fled, failed, froze, the lion was about to devour it and maybe changed its mind, frozen, and it came back into consciousness and ran away. It ran away. Now, in that running away, there is a sequence which I am still understanding, but this is where I am seeing where yoga is, is helpful, is how to get that out of the system because that's a lot of energy mm. there that can yeah. get trapped. My first yoga teacher says, look at nature. When two geese, when two ganders are fighting, they, you know, one, they kind of have their own boxing rules, fighting rules, like, UK, you've won. You've dominated, right? <laughs> I don't understand. I don't speak geese, so I don't know why. <laughs> but after that, the ganders apparently go away and they vigorously flap their wings. What are they doing? They are releasing and they are dissipating all that anger, that rage, all that excitement. And then they're back to calm. That is what we are failing to do as human beings. And where yoga comes in is every emotion is trapped in a different place in the body. Hmm. And this is what I love about the, the chakra system. Grief in the heart. Every chakra is, has got two sides, you know, two aspects to it. So love for the heart. But the flip side of love is grief. Hmm. Right? The throat, it's I can express myself 
I can speak what's on my mind. That's that generally is a positive thing. Mm-hmm. But I can also issue very pierced criticism, mm-hmm. whether to myself or to others. That could be a negative aspect of them. So what is happening is we are getting a lot of emotions trapped into the body. I'll give a personal example. Yeah. My first marriage didn't work out. So after 11 years, was not so bad most of the marriage, but the ending, it's always a thing. And unfortunately, it's like eat a good dish and something bad entered your mouth. The last bite had something not so great. That is your memory, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what lingers. <laughs> so I went away with that lingering bitter taste <laughs> mm. after the marriage. And five years later, Jerry, I'm thinking, ah, oh, I'm fine. I'm over this. I'm getting over getting on with my life. I'm doing a teacher training. And I did my first teacher training in Cape Town. And I'm going to as many yoga classes as possible. And I'm in this Bikram yoga class. Nobody in the room knows me because I'm just a drop-in. And we're in camel pose. And I've done camel pose a number of times. But maybe it was because it was a heated room. In this camel pose, Jerry, I blacked out. Wow. Luckily, I didn't fall. I kind of had enough consciousness not to fall out of it, but I was seeing black. I was hearing ringing in my ears. I had nausea to the pit of my stomach and feeling cruisy. And I'm like, okay, I think you need to get out of this before you crumple up on the floor. Mm. And that happened several times with a number of poses that are related to the heart chakra. So Mm. it also happened to me in Cosmic Dancer or Natarajasana, which is another heart opening pose. So for me, it was a big wake up call. You think you are all right. You think you have gotten over that. You still have to work through and process and release. So yoga was part of my catalyst to help me release this. Yes, yoga, but yoga also led me to other modalities that have helped me along the years as well. And I think that yoga is a great catalyst. It helps, but it can also lead you to find other things that can also help. It releases a lot of emotions and energy, and it increases our awareness. That's another aspect. A lot of the time, the problem is that we don't know when we're going into these pathways. Can you say more about that? It helps to know when you're being flipped. Hmm. And there's usually a trigger. I don't know why we're talking a lot about snakes, but it's my my fault because I started that, right? Because that's really (laughs) reptilian and we're speaking about the reptilian. That was the trigger. Oh my gosh, a snake. (laughs) And then, you know, I, I don't know if you've had this experience. After you've seen the snake, sometimes just a grass or a twig touches you and you still think it's a snake. Oh, yeah. Everything is a snake. A cucumber is a snake. Everything's a snake after that. <laughs> that's that's the problem, that we are not able to go back into the calmness. And yoga gives us techniques to go, one, to release the energy. Every pose is working separately you know, the body as a whole, but focusing more 
on a particular area. And I gave an example of camel pose and cosmic dancer doing a lot in the heart chakra. I thought, oh my gosh, it's just the heart chakra. And then I had a client and we did a garland pose. So that's like a squat. And for her, that's the pose where the release came. Hmm. So it really depends on the emotion. Maybe it was linked to feelings of fear or failure. So we will feel where maybe there's more, there's a, maybe a blockage. It's one way that yoga can help us check in to say, there's something there in the heart. There's something there in my root. And as we feel it, right now in the beginning of yoga, I find that we only feel and learn to release what's there. Then the more we we do yoga, the more aware we become, you'll start to realize when that feeling is actually coming in. It's like I'm feeling my heart becoming this. I'm feeling this. Then with more awareness, you're able to feel what was happening. What was happening? And next time that thing is happening, because now you're aware, do I want to react in this way? Do I react by tensing up? Or can I get from yoga another technique to relax? Can I take a deep breath? Can I ground? Can I feel my body? And then maybe I don't get into these pathways when they don't suit me, because the pathways are there for very good reason. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's not like, don't be stressed, don't go into fight or flight. No, it's, it, it can be a matter of life and death. The problem is going into them when it's not helpful for us yeah. or others. You're having a conversation with your partner and they say something and you're reacting in a very defensive way. You're acting in fight or flight. Reptiles don't have relationships with each other. That can cause distance because you're not relating at that moment as mammals. You're not connecting. Mm. You're distancing. You're like, protect myself. Trigger. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Mm. Or maybe I freeze. I don't Mm. say anything. Mm. Or do anything. Hmm. You mentioned that there was a discomfort that you felt in a yoga pose and then a series of yoga poses that are related to the heart that made you realize that there was something there that you wanted to maybe lean into, work through. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm constantly thinking about as we bump up against our edges, how we can discern between what is a discomfort to explore and lean into and what is the discomfort that's actually a boundary, that's actually a stimulus that we don't want to, that's hurting us, that we don't want to expose ourselves to. How do we discern what to lean into and what maybe to walk away from? Oh my gosh, I love that question. (laughs) I think we all have to work that out for ourselves. Personally, I'm still working that out for myself. The more my awareness increases through my Buddhist practice, through my practice of meditation, through asking for feedback, I get better and better at it. But it, it, 
it means increasing my awareness. And and fortunately, trial and error, I think, is part of it. Hmm. I had an, an episotomy, which if you don't know what an episotomy is, good for you. You probably didn't have one. So basically, <laughs> without getting too graphic, you, you have a, a cut to open up the passage to let the baby out. Now, okay. unfortunately, mine, when that happened, it cut into the head of a muscle of one mm. of my hamstrings, right? So it did heal. But any injury that we have is not generally as strong as any other area. So in the early days of my yoga practice, I couldn't distinguish between I'm stretching and this is tearing. Mm. Yeah. Right? So unfortunately for me, it I did get a little bit injured first. And they're like, oh, that's that. This is this. Mm-hmm. But the important thing is to learn. Not to just continue regardless. So when we feel something, we can go a little bit. And if we're not sure, pull back. If you're not mm. sure, pull back and take some breaths and evaluate. And sometimes you will know there and then, and sometimes it's a little bit delayed. But the more our awareness increases and the more our experience increases, we're able to get that answer sooner as opposed to later. I think it's a practice, to be honest. The, everything that we practice, we get better at. There's uh, the physical world and the practice of yoga, which is so symbolic for and related to the rest of the world. It, it also translates into things like, oh, I am re- receiving this stimulus from someone because they're saying a certain thing to me. Should I lean into the discomfort of how I'm responding to this because I'm being triggered by it and I'm going to a place, maybe it's fight, flight, or freeze, or is it actually something that, you know, is fundamentally like, this is not okay, you know, and I set a boundary and I walk away from it. And so it's so interesting to see how maybe a practice in the physical space might be able to help you also do that out and about in life as well. The the problem is we're not connected to what's going on in our body because mm. our body is amazing. Look at, you know, they think they're talking about 10 senses that we have or 12. They keep discovering new senses that we have. The main five senses are all about what's happening outside from the outside, but they're extraceptions, you know. What can I see out there? What can I hear? What can I feel? What can I smell? What can I taste? But there's all the senses of things that are happening inside our body, like balance, like um, what happens in your stomach, this pressure. There's a lot of senses that happen in, sense of direction as well. There's a number of senses inside of us. And yoga helps us hone in on our inner senses. If you are blind, you hear better. If you cannot hear, you see better. We become better at the sense that we, if you are a some, some, um, some <laughs> person who smells, um, tastes wine. It's a lovely French word. Sommelier. Thank you. That one. Mm-hmm. 
Your, your sense of smell will be heightened. Why? Because you practice. You practice with that sense. Yoga gives us a lot of practice with a lot of our introception. What's happening with my muscle? What's happening with my stomach? What's happening with my heart? What's happening with my breath? What's happening? You get to work a lot with that. And that's the oneness. And when you're connected to your body in that way, you are able to pick up more on the clues that tell you, is this a real danger? And yes, I need a boundary. And hell yeah, I got to get the hell out of here. This is not the time to be asking this person these kind of questions. This person is not a safe person, at least not in this moment of time. Mm -hmm. You will be able to be in tune with your body and pick that up because our bodies are magical. Remember, the mind is the tip of the iceberg. The problem is we only want to focus on the things that are in the mind. And we need to increase our awareness of what's going on. Otherwise, it'll be happening, but we're not aware of it. It'll not be in in consciousness and we won't be able to help us. Or we won't be able to tap some way into all the information, the wealth of information that all our senses are giving us. So yoga is to really hone all of our senses. Mm. And awareness and where you direct it is so powerful. I know that I've been able to tap into new experiences and have different areas of growth just by gaining an awareness of what's possible. I feel like the next time I do yoga, I will be expanded into more possibility with yoga simply by having an awareness of what you just shared. Right. And and again, it's practice. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, if you do something often, you get very good at it. But what often happens, like balance, if you balance often, whether it's on a tightrope or on one foot, I see this all the time with, with students. When they're regular in class, their sense of balance, which is an internal sense of where are we balanced or not. Balance is very much connected to the mind. If you are not present in the moment, you will not be able to balance. If your Hmm. thoughts go to, what am I going to do tomorrow? What did I do yesterday? You will fall out of the balance. But balance, we only retain our balance as long as we practice it. So a student who was perfectly balanced for the whole one minute, I like to balance at least a minute on each leg in, in class been balanced for months, doesn't attend class or doesn't practice on their own for three months, they come back and their balance is not totally gone, but it was not as good as before. So it has to be a lifestyle, a practice. Yeah. A practice. I love that. That's what we call yoga, yoga practice. And also it's a lot of other things that serve us. It's a constant remembering and practicing. You don't get to this point, at least in my opinion, and then say, okay, I'm done now. I've mastered yoga. I've mastered life. You know, it is this constant practice, no matter what level you are. I love that, Jerry. Yes. And there's always more to know. And Yes, sometimes we do need to take breaks, but what we realize is depending on the, the length of the break, maybe it means we take a step back or two and that's okay. Just get back up on again and continue taking steps in our practice. 
What is something everyone at home could do today to start practicing? Find a class. It has never been easier to do yoga than this present moment. Mm. Yoga is one of the simplest form practices. Why I say that is I've done yoga in a sleeper train. If you have space, (laughs) (laughs) if you have space for your mat, you have space to do yoga. So it doesn't require that much space. My first yoga moments didn't even involve a mat. My Mm. mat was my carpet. You don't need any special equipment. So you don't even have to go out and buy something. But a yoga mat is nice and you can get one for not a lot of money, sometimes $5, $10. I mean, I would like the Rolls Royce on yoga <laughs> mats. I would like a manduka. Someone stole my manduka mat. Oh, May no. they be very happy with it and it gives them <laughs> abundant blessings. And they are actually using it uh, with the practice of yoga. Then it would have, you know, served its purpose. But get to a yoga class. If that means you go to the yoga just around the corner, if that means that you go online, I do have an online yoga studio and there's a lot of people, other yoga teachers who have that, but start. And if the one that you're in doesn't speak to you, just find the next one. Yeah. But commitment, sankalpa, Make a promise to yourself. Make a determination. The first step is to make that promise and determination and renew it on a daily basis. So it starts with the mental, the spiritual mental energy of I am going to do this. Tell other people what you're going to do so that you can be held accountable. Mm. The energy manifests a little bit more materially when we get it out of our heads onto a paper or into the ears of other people. And that helps us take the next stage, which is to physically do it and put it in our routine. It's amazing what even 15, 20 minutes of yoga can do consistently. Thank you for that. I honestly cannot believe how the time has flown by. I just looked at the clock and I was like, wait a minute. No, I have so many more questions. But before we go, I want to give you a chance to share more about your work and your studio and how you support people and how they can work with you. I have been teaching yoga for 13 years and I never knew when I embarked on this journey that it would give me so much joy and so much fulfillment. And I have learned so much myself through, through teaching. So it is my absolute pleasure to teach and see people grow. For 11 years, I taught in person in Osaka, Zambia. And then a couple of years ago, I moved to Denver, Colorado, where I am. And so I teach online. So anybody is welcome to join the classes that I have online. And it doesn't matter if you're not able to get to the four classes that I do teach because I have over 300 recorded classes that you can choose from depending on which area you're feeling. And I'd like to tell people which chakra this class is related to so you could pick your classes by level, beginner, or challenge, or ease. 
the part of the body you want to work on. And um, yeah, there's no excuse, basically. (laughs) (laughs) If you are in Denver, if you do happen to be listening in Denver and you're listening in the month of (laughs) September 2022, I am doing yoga in the park because I love one thing that helps us connect and relax and turn into, you know, move from the fight or flight to the sympathetic rest and digest pathway is nature. So I love Mm -hmm. to do yoga outside in the park in the shade of the trees in a circle because we also tend to freak out when we feel alone. So any Sunday, you could always check on the Kututu Yoga Facebook page for details on the park yoga. You can get to our online studio through through our Facebook page or directly through our website, which is kututayoga.com. And you don't have to do yoga with me, just do yoga. I mean, if you have a yoga teacher near you, nothing beats in person if you can get to it. Go. I ask all guests this. If you could leave our listeners with one message, what would it be? Oh, Jerry, that's a tough one. <laughs> I know. <laughs> we are one. Hmm. Yeah. We are one. And let's find that oneness and wholeness in ourselves, with other people, other living beings, and with the planet. Mm-hmm. That's the message of yoga. Yes. Thank you for that. It's beautiful. And thank you so much for your time today. I absolutely love this conversation. I learned so much. and I really appreciate you being here. It was great. There's something amazing about dialogue in the process of speaking and sharing. Even myself as a speaker, and this happens to me all the time, new things come into my consciousness Mm. as well. It's one thing to just think alone in one's head, but there's so much richness that comes when we have a dialogue and a discussion with others. We learn too. I've Mm. learned. Thank you. Oh, thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to be kept in the loop on new episodes like it, follow us on Instagram at Abundantly Curious or join the email list at the link in our show description and show notes. And if you've got extra love to give, which we always welcome, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. And remember, when we open our minds, we open to new possibilities.